Hello and welcome to Gilead. My name is Soren Hotshire and I'm the comms and admin host here. Thank you for joining us. We're so glad to have you here. Gilead has been all over and probably will be again. This January is our anniversary month, meaning our anniversary slash birthday month. Our theme for the month is Movable Feast. We're talking about stories of moving houses, jobs, churches, relocation, getting the hell out of town or office or relationships, and never turning back. Moving stories, large and small, for a queer storytelling nomadic church. And this past Sunday, January 7th, 2024, Rebecca uh, t was preaching about our superpower of moving. And, you know, how good and bad that can possibly be. And her superpower was also preaching while she was sick. So please enjoy and listen now. So they did not see it coming. They were going about their lives in one of the most powerful empires in the history of the world. They lived at the center of global trade. The economy was robust, built on agriculture that flourished in rich soil. They were, in fact, in the very cradle of civilization. How could they have imagined what was coming? There, in a powerful, food-rich nation, a famine was coming. A long famine, seven years of life-threatening disaster. Nobody saw it coming. The story of Joseph, as in Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, it takes up the whole last quarter of the book of Genesis. After all of the sweeping origin stories comes a single novella. After the coat of many colors and his dreams, after Joseph's brothers shove him into slavery, after being taken to Egypt, after being falsely accused of sexual assault, he ends up in prison and then eventually in front of Pharaoh, the god king of one of the most powerful empires in the history of the world. And Pharaoh, too, had dreams, but he has no idea what it means. I wonder if Joseph, like Solomon, had been given a chance, a choice of what blessing from God he would want. I wonder if he'd have chosen dream interpretation. Like if God had said to Joseph, ask me for what I should give you, if that's what Joseph would have picked. I wonder if Joseph had been able to choose his own superpower, like a superhero in his origin story, if that's what he would have picked. Or like if you were role-playing Joseph in a kind of biblical D&D, and the game master said, okay, your character's going to get sold into slavery in a land where famine is coming, would you personally choose dream interpretation as your special skill? Like you could choose agricultural prowess, or an ability to survive on less and less, or maybe just the ability to escape. But as it happened, what Joseph got, what God gave Joseph, was dream interpretation. Called before Pharaoh, he heard the dream about seven fat cows and seven skinny ones, poor cows, ugly cows, very ugly cows. He had never seen such ugly cows. And the seven <laughs> healthy ears of grain and the seven, seven withered ones. And Joseph sees it plain as day. What's coming is famine, lean years. Seven long, lean years. Peril not just for Egypt, as it turned out, but the whole world. Because of the gift that Joseph got, silly old dream interpretation, Egypt was able to plan ahead, to store up during the fat years, these 
golden heaps of grain poured into storehouses until it wasn't worth measuring anymore, there was so much. Those years of plenty, that easy time of harvest, of setting aside for the future, because of his gift, Joseph rose to power. Not a slave or a prisoner whose life hung in the balance, depending on the whims of others, but among the most powerful people in the world. His gifts saved his life, the whole country, and the lives of foreigners who also came to buy grain. And they included eventually his own family, including the ones who betrayed him. In September of 2020, Krista D'Amico sent me an email. I mean, Krista has sent me many emails. I have a folder dedicated to Krista emails. But this one arrived the day after our first pandemic telethon, which reminded Krista of our first first telethon, when we accidentally waded as a staff into the internet controversy regarding the washing of legs. <laughs> and whether one does it or not. Had I heard, Krista wanted to know, of the, the book, the play, or God forbid, the movie, called Cheaper by the Dozen. Because in it, she wrote, the dad character, who is a sweet but basically capitalist monster because he's an efficiency <laughs> expert who works for Titans of Industry in the years leading up to the Great Depression, the dad is also a parent to 12 kids who he teaches how to bathe most effectively. <laughs> Krista quoted dialogue from the play, which dialogue had thrown her into a personal crisis of faith regarding leg washing. I, meanwhile, was frantically working on a grant for Gilead that was no doubt due several days earlier. It's one of those big church-sustaining grants generously handed out by the Disciples of Christ which is my denomination, not the name of a prison gang, generously <laughs> and easily handed out, so it is not necessary for me to format it all cute and add a bunch of photos, but that's what I like, and also I want them to get to know us, and who had time before the telethon, during a pandemic, etc. So when I stopped to read this email, it was with a sense of guilt, a sense of guilty recognition, because this is what I do. I stop doing the important thing, and I fool around on the internet, and I do the fun and or easy thing. But the email was really funny. It was about how the dad in Cheaper by the Dozen instructs the family to bathe by holding a bar of soap in one hand, and then in a single continuous motion, wash from the top of the shoulder down the top of the left arm, back up the bottom of the arm, and then down the left side. Then you switch hands, repeat, voila, bathing is dumb. Krista was shook by the idea that while the dad says sides, he does not explicitly mention legs. <laughs> I was troubled by something even larger. <laughs> and it required that I, deadline or no deadline, respond immediately. <laughs> so I grabbed a piece of paper and a marker, even though, of course, the grant not going to write itself, not going to put in its own cute pictures, more guilt, I drew a diagram, I color-coded it, I made a little key for the diagram, I photographed the diagram, what was I doing? Tens of thousands of dollars were on the line, and I emailed Krista back, saying, I am extremely familiar with that book, and I have thought many times of this exact thing, and only now do I realize what bullshit it is, unless everyone in that family is only one bar of soap wide. <laughs> See attached. <laughs> and then I went back to work. <laughs> and I never heard any more.
this. <laughs> and recognize the behavior, not just the procrastination, but the way I value a joke. I'm a person who values a running joke, who will force a running joke on a group of people. I am a person who will set an alarm to remember to text someone a joke. Like if I think of it too late at night, or I want to get the timing just right, I will set an alarm. Uh, that's nuts, kind of. I'm the kind of person who will schedule an email reminder for myself to mark the anniversary of something funny. My calendar is full of annual and repeating events with names like Wartgate and Vomitgate. And in Christ, there is no East or West, which is a reference to Vince smelling that one rotten egg that one time. <laughs> and while I like all of this about myself, I'm not sure it's with the thing I would have asked for. Like, I'll say it this way. If someone, let's say God, had said to me, you're going to move to Chicago, and you're going to become a pastor, and you're going to start a church, and there's going to be a global pandemic, and you'll never know more than like a couple of months in advance where you're going to meet next as a church, and then said, do you want running jokes as your superpower? <laughs> I would have said no. Give me fundraising, or even just like the ability to focus for 45 minutes, or management skills, or faith, or perseverance, or need <laughs> to despair, or literally, honestly, just a bright, clean, affordable storefront in Rogers Park. <laughs> One of the things that the Joseph story seems to be about is the power of God and how it's different and much more vast than human power, even the human power of a god-king like Pharaoh, even the human power of one of the greatest empires in the history of the world. God's power and God's plan is not always knowable. God's power and God's plan and God's own knowledge is different and deeper than human knowing. None of which in the Joseph story happens by God like breaking into the story like a superhero. It doesn't even happen by some miraculous feeding, which it does turn out somewhat later that God is into. God's power and plan and knowledge all happens through the particular gifts of a particular person into whom God pours a particular gift. Through Joseph, a dreamer, here comes the dreamer, let's get him. Through that dreamer, God enacts God's plans and displays God's power and shares God's knowledge of what's coming, which is famine which is good strategic planning, which is revitalization for our intrepid little queer storytelling bar church. Two people from very distinct parts of my life have told me that Gilead, not having a set place to meet, is our superpower. Uh -huh. One was our former regional minister, and the other one is my trainer. It's like, what a crummy superpower. What's good about it? Like, we're hard to find. We have to schlep our stuff all over. Every four to 16 weeks, the staff has to open that space race dosh that Izzy read from and have a feeling of just abject hopelessness as we see the places that we've contacted cyclically again and again and all the places we reach out to every time and all the places who say no. Early on, when we had been kicked or like burned out of another temporary home, <laughs> I asked Vince, where did we think we were going to have church? Like when we started this. And Vince said, we thought we'd find a place. Which is, like, still true. <laughs> and I still think it's a bad superpower. But I'm so glad and grateful that those people said it. 
each of them with very specific knowledge of who and how I am, each with their own very specific knowledge of how and where people gather. Because they're people I trust, I keep coming back to that idea of this bullshit as our superpower. One of the other things that that Joseph story seems to be about, and maybe this one is closer to home for us, one of the other things it's about seems to be that God and God's goodness is in each of those rotten places that Joseph finds himself. Sure, when he's in the apple of his father's eye, but also in the bottom of a pit, also enslaved, also slandered, also imprisoned, also in the seat of power, also in a place to forgive his treacherous, jealous brothers. Maybe our crummy superpower is about one of our core claims, that every story is a God story, that every moment in every dive bar with a sticky floor, every nearly condemned restaurant, every place with uncomfortable chairs or scarce parking, God is with us. I was surprised when I didn't hear back from Krista, as I said, she's a big emailer, but I was also surprised when I did hear back, like about a week later. She sent a message saying that she was still laughing about the little diagram and that she laughed about it all week. She couldn't believe I had taken the time to respond, to read her message closely, to draw the damn thing, to send it. She said she especially liked the little key that I had drawn. She said she wasn't sure what class I had taken to learn that it could be an act of Christian community but she was grateful. <laughs> you will be perhaps surprised to know that I did not take a class to learn that. Taught me how to belabor a joke or draw silly little pictures. In fact, I didn't know until Krista's message that it was a gift at all. God's knowledge of what's needed is different than ours. God's plan is different than ours, not the choice we would make on our own. And the gifts God gives us are sometimes, or I would say in this case, definitely not the ones we would have asked for. But we are gifted in ways particular to us as individuals and as a group in this time, in this particular time. We have lived through seasons of abundance and we have lived with scarcity. And we are, in all of it, like Joseph, part of God's plans. Our dreams are part of God's dream. And it's through those particular dreams the particular vision of this church that God is enacting God's plan for us and for Chicago and even for the world. By our God-given dreams and particular gifts, we have been storing up in great golden heaps what we need, not to scrape by, but to feast. Now all that's left to do is share it with each other and everybody who needs it.